Now, I, I don't know if many of you have heard, but uh, Tuesday is election day. So I know this may be the, the first you're hearing about this. Uh, and as is traditional in many congregations on the Sunday before we enter the voting booth, or at least we usually, usually used to enter the voting booth, we often pause on to reflect on how is it that our values, can, what we care about most deeply, how does that inform our engagement with the democratic process? Now this year admittedly is a little different, significant numbers of people have already voted, but given how divisive and polarizing this election season has been, it may still be useful to spend just a little bit of time reflecting how we can and can't show up politically as a congregation. In general, if I could invite you to remember just four words as a quick reference for how do we navigate the separation of church and state, it would be to remember that religious communities can be political, but not partisan. That's, if, if I could ask you to remember just one thing, let me share my screen with you. I'll go a little bit more into detail. So here is a slide. If you think about how our religious forebears were involved with the abolitionist movement, the women's suffrage movement, the civil rights movement, often precisely because of their religious values, it becomes clear that sometimes it is our religious values that call us to try to change things in the public square, that call us to be um, prophetic and political about our body politic. And individually, of course, you can be as partisan as you want to be, as partisan as your conscience feels, you, uh, feels right to you. But collectively, as a congregation, I think rightly, there are limits. In particular, we don't endorse collectively, we don't endorse um, partisan political parties or partisan candidates for office. We can, however, advocate for and against particular political issues and positions and pieces of legislation. We can lobby for them. Uh, that especially when they're in, in alignment with our UU values. And we can speak out prophetically to hold elected politicians accountable for specific actions that they have or haven't taken. So some of you may be asking, what are these UU values that you speak of? Well, one of our slogans is side with love. But again, what does it mean specifically to vote on the side of love? Well, one of our most um, common ways of speaking about our shared UU values is our eight UU principles. So they're actually more useful for discernment and focusing action than is sometimes recognized. So I'll give you an example. So you could ask yourself, um, you know, do this candidate's policy proposals reflect the inherent worth and dignity of every person or not? Or do they treat people like they're garbage? Does this candidate have a track record of practicing justice, equity, and compassion in human relations? Or do they promote injustice, inequity, and cruelty, right? Do you see how these really are concretely useful? Do they promote acceptance of one another or division across party lines? Um, does the, you know, is there demonization of those who are different or is there a basic kind of comedy? Uh, does this candidate model a free and responsible search for truth and meaning or lies and disinformation? Uh, will this candidate work toward the goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice, not merely for some or for all, or only care about um, a small group of people? Will this candidate take into account how decisions impact our planet and future generations out of respect for the interdependent web of all existence? 
And is this candidate committed to taking actions to accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions and ourselves and our institutions to building a diverse, multicultural, beloved community? Or is this candidate helping entrench and solidify white supremacy culture? These eight questions can really, these are eight principles, can help clarify which candidates are most in line with our UU values. But ultimately, it is, of course, left to your individual conscience to discern which candidate is most in line with your values. Along those lines, as we approach the deadline to cast a vote in this election, I'd like to invite us to reflect some on how we reached this point in our nation's history and where we might go from here. And to do that, the book that's influenced me the most recently as I was researching that question for the sermon, I just kept hearing this high praise for a cast, The Origin of Our Discontents by Isabella Wilkerson. So when I just keep hearing about a book from multiple quarters, if I can make time to read it, I did. Uh, I do, and I did for cast, and I highly recommend it to you as well. I know some of you have already read it. It's a powerful and also quite accessible and fairly quick read. Some of you may know Wilkerson's earlier award-winning book from about a decade ago, The Warmth of Other Suns, which tells the story of the mass migration of African Americans out of the South during the middle decades of the 20th century. She was also the first African American woman to win a Pulitzer Prize in journalism. Uh, and her latest book, Cast, as you can see in that photo, was also selected as the most recent entry into Oprah's book club. So do what, do what Oprah tells you to do. It's generally a, a one good thing to consider. All right. So to tell you just a little bit about Cass, I want to highlight really just three points from the book of things that stood out to me and that I've really been thinking about a lot that I, I think can also help inform and equip us as we're hopefully able to begin picking up the pieces on the other side of this election and rebuilding together. For many people, the past few years have been a wake-up call that there is serious unresolved trauma in our country and that ignoring that trauma has not made it go away. Most recently, the deaths of George Floyd, of Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Arbery, uh, Walter Wallace Jr., far too many other names of people of color, I could go on, have been devastating reminders that too often in this country, Black lives have not mattered. For members of this congregation who are Black, Indigenous, or people of color, this is not news. For others of us, it may have been a matter of consciousness raising over time about the depth. You know, some of us like aware, but really, truly the depth of ongoing racial injustice. And as the late Maya Angelou used to say, and I think Lisa spoke well to this in the um, spoken meditation, do the best you can until you know better. And when you know better, do better. Related to this maxim, Isabella Wilkerson's book, Cast, includes two particularly striking metaphors that have really stuck with me in regard to the uh, work of racial justice. The first of her two metaphors is thinking about racial justice in regard to our individual medical history. I suspect the vast majority of you have filled out one or likely many more than one medical history, those multiple pages, right, of medical history forms, you know, really, really detailed. Uh, that multi-page multi medical histories not only asks you for your personal past, but about your parents, about your grandparents, and more. And Wilkerson writes, notice that a doctor will not hazard a diagnosis without knowing your history going back generations. Looking beneath the history of one's country is like learning that alcoholism or depression runs in one's family or discovering that one has inherited the markers of a BRCA mutation for breast cancer. 
you don't have to ball up in a corner with guilt and shame that you have a certain medical history. You don't, if you're wise, forbid any mention of them. In fact, you do the opposite. You educate yourself. You talk to people who have been through it, specialists who have researched it, um, like Ibram Kendi, who we heard from with Anti-Racist Baby earlier from Nicole. You learn the consequences and the obstacles, the options and the treatments. Then you take precautions and work to ensure these things, whatever they are, don't keep happening again to future generations. I find that metaphor really helpful of our country's racist history being like our personal medical history. We don't have to feel guilt or shame about our country being diagnosed with racism. We just need to educate ourselves and commit to dismantling systems of white supremacy to create a, a more fair and free future for all people, regardless of skin color. And uh, our interim minister, Jen, and I are going to be leading, and you'll hear more about this, but starting in late January, we're going to be leading a uh, Tuesday night um, session for a few weeks about how to, uh, what specifically we're doing this, both at the congregational level and the UUA level. So more to come. The other metaphor that Wilkerson uses in Cass that I found particularly helpful is that being a citizen of the United States is kind of like inheriting an old house. No one alive today built this house, but as with any old house that one might inherit, any further deterioration, that part is on us. It may not be our fault, but it becomes our responsibility. And how long does that responsibility last is the third and final point I wanted to share with you. As just one among many points of reference, I'll give you just um, one point that I think Wilkerson helpfully makes. Consider that 246 years passed from 1619 when the first enslaved Africans were brought to, this, to the colony of Virginia in eight, uh, until 1865. So 246 years from 1619 to 1865 when the Civil War over slavery ended. Did it really end? I'm from South Carolina. That's a, that's a question we could really interrogate. Uh, if you add those 246 years of enslavement to 1865, you'll find that no current day adult will be alive in the year in which African-Americans as a group have been free for as long as they were enslaved. That will not come until the year 2111. So just something to think about, about how long it takes to build systems and then to undo them and rebuild something different. Much work remains to be done to reach collective liberation when we all get free. In that spirit, we're going to sing together in a few moments the hymn, Fire of Commitment. And as we do so, I invite each of us to continue to look in our heart and reflect on the history we've inherited and how we're called, both individually and collectively, to rebuild together in the days to come. One way to do that, if you want to really kind of get in depth, if you look on the center of our homepage, you'll see a link to the Jubilee Anti-Racism Training that's November 13th to 15th. It's all over Zoom. Uh, if you need help paying for it, we're, we have scholarship funds available. There are two spots remaining. 58 people are signed up for that. Two spots remain. So if you're interested, go click on that um, momentarily right in the center of our homepage. You can also look in the upper right-hand corner, right where you see UU the Vote, is a link about Black Lives Matter with a link of a bunch of resources for going deeper, how to connect with showing up for racial justice and other such organizations. For now, as we reflect on how to continue responding in the days and weeks to come to this pivotal historical moment in which we find ourselves, I'll leave you with a quote from James Baldwin's final novel titled Just Above My Head. As I read, as I read it, think about all that's happened in our country from um, 1963 and Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech 
through the end of Baldwin's life in the 80s up to the Black Lives Matter movement with Trayvon Martin and all that has come since then. So just think about that. I have a dream and all that's come since. Baldwin writes, when the dream was slaughtered, when the dream was slaughtered and all that love and labor seemed to have come to nothing, we scattered. We knew where we had been, what we had tried to do, who had cracked, gone mad, died, or been murdered around us. And just think about that. King and RFK and just all the people who died and have been lost. And it's just continuing to today. And Baldwin concludes, not everything is lost. Responsibility It cannot be lost. Responsibility can only be abdicated. And if one refuses abdication, one begins again.